is Sarah Anderson. My message is titled, The Holy Spirit and Our New Nature, Relating to an Enemy, based on Romans 12, verses 19 through 21. I'm going to talk about how you can relate to an enemy and what practical steps you can take to engage your enemy with kindness and hopefully turn your enemy into an ally. I hope you enjoy it. Right. Good morning. So I just got back from camp. And I have to say, you all look a little cleaner than my campers did. (laughs) I think this is going to be a little bit different than talking to the wiggly, squirmy, dirty. (laughs) Some of our campers didn't really shower the whole week. Um, And then the last day we did a mud run. And some of them still didn't shower (laughs) or change their clothes. We did hose them off, and we threw some water balloons at them. So hopefully they were clean-ish when they went home to mom and dad. But we had 93 kids from this church and Dayton Vineyard. And it was incredible to see the difference from the day they were dropped off at camp to the day that they were picked up from camp. And the friendships that they formed and the new things and skills that they acquired. Some of these kids ziplined for the first time. Some of them climbed a rock wall for the first time. They all did the mud run for the first time. And 19 of them gave their hearts to Jesus. Beyond that, 18, there was some overlap, but 18 of them expressed a desire to be baptized which is really cool. And every single child, all 93 of them, received a prophetic word from God while they were at the camp. Multiple of them experienced God's presence for the first time. And it was just a really sweet time. Uh, Side note, camp is not yet planned for next year, but it will be soon. And in case you didn't know, one week of camp is the equivalent of one year in Sunday school for these kids, both in the spiritual formation that they can gain and in the relationships that they can form. So these kids, these 93 kids, they had a year's worth of spiritual growth last week, and it was, it was amazing. So today we are going to talk about relating to an enemy. So I'm going to read our passage for today. We've been in Romans 12 for the past couple weeks. So this is Romans 12 verses 19 through 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time. I thank you for every person that is present. Please open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to hear the words that you have for us today. Speak through me. Allow me to partner with you to bring this message. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So what is an enemy? 
The technical definition of an enemy is a person who feels hatred for, fosters harmful designs against, or engages in antagonistic activities against another, an adversary or an opponent. So as I've been preparing, I've been trying to think back through my life and I've tried to come up with different enemies that I've had at different stages of life and how I've interacted with them. And if I'm really honest, I don't think I've had very many enemies in my life. But there have been a lot of people that have frustrated me. <laughs> and there's been a lot of people that I've had conflicts with. And there's been a lot of people that I've had different viewpoints than. And I would imagine most of you are probably in the same boat as me. You're kind of like, enemies? I don't really have any enemies. But I bet you have people that have frustrated you. Or maybe you have a coworker that like, you're dreading going to work tomorrow morning because it's like, oh, they're going to be there again. They're going to do the same things. We all kind of have people that can rub us the wrong way in life. So how do we get enemies? How does someone become our enemy? I think in the traditional sense of the word, there are four ways that somebody can become our enemy. The first way is the most obvious. They do something terrible to us. They have hurt us, they've hurt somebody in our family, maybe they've abused us, or they've gossiped about us, they've lied about us, they've spread untruths about us, and we have just decided this person is not kind, they're not on my side, they are my enemy, I'm going to try to not have much to do with this person. They have hurt me. The second way is the opposite, that we have done something unkind to somebody else, and they consider us their enemy. Now, this is a two-way street. Like, if this person thinks that I'm their enemy, well, then they're my enemy, too. Like, I don't consider them probably my best friend. And they're like, oh, you're my enemy. If so, like, we've got some communication issues going on there. But it's kind of like, if one party on either side of the equation says, you're my enemy, well, then you're enemies. That's just kind of where it falls. So I'm going to give all of us in this room the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to believe that if that's true and someone considers us their enemy, it's because we just haven't had the opportunity yet to make it right, <laughs> but that we would if we could. The third way is miscommunication or misinterpretation. We've all experienced this, whether it's at the workplace, at home, at school, but something happens and the other person completely misreads the situation and they misread our intentions and they think, oh my gosh, that person's not kind anymore. Or maybe someone shares gossip, incorrect stories about you and suddenly things start to spread and then you realize everyone's kind of looking at you differently and everyone's kind of viewing you as the enemy and it's not really through any fault of your own. It was just this unintentional kind of situation that kind of snowballed and got out of control. The last way that we get an enemy, I think, is just that there are hurt people in this world. And they are just looking for people to be upset with. Whether they want to be upset at you driving in traffic or at the cashier, at the mailman, but they are just kind of like, the world is out to get me, and so I'm out to get the world. And I'm not going to trust anyone, and I'm going to kind of view everyone as my enemy. So in the non-traditional sense of the word, enemy, there are people that irritate us. So let's say that you go to Panera. This might have happened to me. And you're ready to just sit down and get some work, like crank the workout, and you put your earbuds in, and you're right next to the cozy little fireplace. And then someone comes and sits down, like right next to you, 
and talks really loudly on their phone for like the whole time that you're there and you can't get anything done. I'm really like noise sensitive. <laughs> that person becomes your enemy in that moment. Cause you're like, you are conspiring against what I am trying to do. Yes, it's a public place. Yes, you have the full rights to be here, but man, I really just wanted to get some work done. Or let's say you get into a colorful Facebook argument about something political with somebody. In that moment, they're your enemy. Like you are against each other. You're going against each other. Or I have a friend, I'm in a Facebook group full of moms. We've been together for about 12 years online. And one of them has shared about a coworker that likes to loudly chomp her way through an apple every single day in the workplace. <laughs> and so she's become known in our group as the apple lady. <laughs> and, you know, she's maybe not doing the best thing, kind of gossiping about her to us, but she's also asking for suggestions. And so we've suggested, like, have you tried noise-canceling headphones? Have you tried, like, handing her an applesauce? I <laughs> mean, like, hey, try this, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> But for her, like, Apple Lady is kind of her enemy. Like, they don't, she doesn't really get along with her. There's been this irritation. So regardless of which of these ways that you've kind of come to find yourself to have an enemy, we have instructions in this passage for how we are supposed to respond. We are not supposed to take revenge. It would be very easy, like in the case of the Apple Lady, for my friend to like, just leave the copier a little jammed when it's her turn to come and do it. Or to start tapping her pencil really loudly whenever she's eating her apple. Or to take revenge in some silly way like that. Or just to be unkind to her. We are like natural instinct sometimes is just to take revenge, to say, I want you to feel the hurt, shame, embarrassment, anger, disappointment, loneliness, whatever you've inflicted on me, you should probably feel that too, because this doesn't feel great. And maybe I'll feel this much better if you feel the same thing I'm feeling. But we are not supposed to do that. Paul tells us here not to seek revenge. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. So here's kind of another real life example. I'm a mom, I have kids, I have three boys. It's always fascinating to me how you can take three boys, they have the same two parents, they've lived in the same household for their entire life and they have radically different personalities, okay? So anytime you put people in a living situation, there's gonna be conflict. Like conflict's just gonna come up, especially among siblings with radically different personalities. So it's a normal day, I'm hanging out in the kitchen, and I hear conflict brewing amongst the boys. And by the time I get there, you know, they're growing in self-control, they're growing in maturity, they're growing in all of these things. But often, by the time I get there, I can no longer tell who has started it, who's at fault, and who really should be in trouble. Because everybody's shouting, or both, it's usually all three, everybody's shouting, everybody's screaming. Hopefully they're not wrestling on the floor, but you know, sometimes they are. And I can't tell who's in the wrong, because at that point, it doesn't really matter. Everyone's in trouble. Everyone gets sent to timeout. Everyone gets brought back together to talk it through, to clean up the relationships with each other, to get back to a neutral state, and to apologize. 
it doesn't matter who started it. It matters that nobody was being kind, nobody was using self-control. We are responsible for our actions. Similarly to my kids, it doesn't matter if kid number one started it and kid number two was only retaliating. They're both in trouble. Same thing happens for us. We can't retaliate. We can't get revenge. We're responsible, both in real life. Like, let's say you, like, have a knee-jerk reaction and you punch somebody at Kroger. There's going to be a real life... I have not done that. (laughs) Disclaimer, that's not me. Um, But there would be a real-life consequence for that. Like, the cops are going to be called. You're going to have to deal with that. But there's also, like, a supernatural... um, sense that we're responsible for that in the supernatural. Like, we are responsible for how we treat people. And likewise, they are held responsible for how they treat us. It is not our job to teach people how to treat us. It's just not our job. It is our job to be kind. It is our job to demonstrate love. But it's not our job to punish them, to make them see sense, to make them see reality, to make them see truth. I often say to my boys, are you the parent? Are you the parent? It is not your job to teach your brother how to behave. That's my job. I wear that hat. It is your job to be a good brother, to be kind, to be a good listener, to not hit them back when they hit you. It is your job to come to me when you need help. If your brother is not being kind to you and you need help, come to me. And that's what God says to us. It is not your job to teach people how to behave towards you. It's not your job. You don't get to punish them. It is your job to be kind, to be a good listener. And if you're having problems with one of your siblings, come to me and I'll help you. Every person everywhere is on a journey. Every person is somewhere in their relationship with God. And our revenge, if we do seek revenge or retaliation towards somebody, especially if they know that we love Jesus, that we follow Jesus, that could push them further away from God. It's going to harden their hearts towards us, for sure. And it could harden their hearts towards all of humanity. I mean, how many people have seen a post on Facebook where it's like, you will never believe what happened to me at Target today. I have lost all faith in people. People are terrible. I'm just going to live in my house. (laughs) Never leave. (laughs) I mean, it can harden people's hearts towards like humanity in general and towards God. Our job as followers of Jesus is to move people closer to God. Our job is to help propel them towards God through love, not through judgment, not through retaliation, not through revenge. We need to respond in kindness. It doesn't matter why they're your enemy or how they came to be your enemy. We are told not to seek revenge. We are told to respond in kindness. So I want to take a quick minute to talk about the wrath of God. This isn't a super fun, you guys all got really quiet. <laughs> this, is, this is not a super fun, super easy, super lighthearted topic, but it's here in this passage. So we're gonna take a whack at it. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. I saw some statistics this week and I can't remember the exact numbers, but the word wrath, comes up a certain number of times in the Old Testament, a little bit more, 
than in the New Testament. It's, I'm going to just make up a number. Let's say it's 40 times you see the word wrath in the New Testament. The word for love, mercy, kindness, graciousness, compassion, all of that, it's like five times the amount of times that you would ever see the word wrath. So I think God gets a bad rap for being wrathful. And really, the Bible talks so much more about his love and his kindness and his forgiveness and compassion towards us. But I have some good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are no longer under the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus at the cross, and so we are therefore no longer under the wrath of God. The wrath of God has been satisfied for now through the cross. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then again, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. We need to concern ourselves with kindness, not with wrath. If God is choosing in this season to not pour out his wrath, if he has chosen to pour out his wrath on Jesus and for his wrath to be satisfied, then we really shouldn't pour out our wrath either. I mean, if we think about how much we've been offended, God has been offended so much more, so much more than we ever could be, and he's not pouring out his wrath. Romans 5, 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Jesus? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So rather than pour out his wrath on us, God reconciled us by pouring it out on Jesus. And if God is in the business of reconciliation, then we should be in the business of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21, talks about this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. We need to work to reconcile people to Jesus, even our enemies, especially our enemies. We, I think, need to go after reconciliation in all of our relationships, especially with our enemies, in order to advance God's reconciliation with all of mankind. If we can reconcile people with ourselves, ambassadors of the kingdom of God, they're one step closer to reconciling themselves with Jesus. We have to pursue reconciliation in our relationships. 
So what do we do? How do we do that? We can't take revenge. We can't unleash our wrath. So what do we do? It says, on the contrary, so the opposite, (laughs) if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Feeding somebody when they're hungry, that's kindness. Giving somebody something to drink when they're thirsty, that's kindness. But do you know what else it is? It's practical. And it's helpful. It's seeing a need and filling it. It's looking at our enemy and assessing their situation and saying, you know what, what do they need right now? Are they hungry? To discern if they're hungry or not, you might have to have a conversation with them. You might have to look at them. You're going to have to figure out like, hey, have you had lunch already? (laughs) Assess if they're thirsty. Offer them a drink. That's kindness. If someone is actively trying to oppose you, they are hurting. Plain and simple. There's nobody that is going to be acting like an enemy that's not hurting. They are hurting. And so they need our kindness. They need our mercy. They need our compassion. And if we can see through kind of like the mask of anger that they have going on, or the meanness or evilness or whatever that they're operating out of, if we can see through that, to the, we can hopefully see through to the cause of the hurt and the pain that they're experiencing. And that leads us to feel compassion for them. In Ephesians 6.12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to look beyond the acts. We need to look beyond the words and try to see through to the person behind. Our struggle's really not against people. We are to be light to people. We're to be reconcilers. If someone is working against us, actively trying to be our enemy, there's probably a dark spiritual force that is at work in their life. And so we need to have compassion for them. That's not easy. That doesn't feel great. So we need to have compassion for them. And when we're able to do that, when we're able to act in a compassionate way towards them, when we're able to be kind, when we're able to be helpful, when we're able to fill one of their practical needs, to be frank, it's probably gonna knock them off of their game. It's gonna make them take a step back and kind of be like, what's going on here? (laughs) I was terrible to you and you're being kind to me. Now, they might just kind of dismiss you and say like, oh, they're full of it or they have wrong motives or they're just trying to manipulate me. Like, they might do that. That's not our problem. Our problem is we are responsible for what we do, what we say, the tone of voice in which we say it. We are responsible for ourselves. We are not responsible for the receptivity on the other side. That's not our job. But I guarantee you it's going to make them stop and think. And that right there, that brief moment of pause, that's an opening. That's an opening for the love of God to invade their heart and for a seed to be planted. You might not see it come to fruition right at that moment, but if they have enough encounters with the kingdom of God and enough little openings of, wait a second, that person's different. Like, I was mean to them, they should be mean to me. But they're not. That happens enough times their hearts are going to open because they're going to see that there's something different about the kingdom of God. Now, 
how do we destroy an enemy? In like the most natural, like war kind of sense of the word, we destroy an enemy like by killing them or by defeating them. But I think there's another way that we can destroy our enemy and that's by making them an ally by having them come alongside of us from coming out from around the table and coming around to our side and being our ally, being our friend. Abraham Lincoln said this. Someone asked him why he didn't seek to destroy his enemies but showed them leniency instead. And he said, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? We need to realign our identities with each other. Take ourselves out of the enemy framework and put us into the friend framework. Now, I think this can sound easier than it is. Like, it's really easy for me to stand up here and be like, be kind, fill a practical need, just go for it, when somebody has hurt you. And sometimes people have hurt us, like, very, very deeply. So how do we build the capacity to actually do this? Well, let's go back to the very beginning of Romans 12, where it says that we can't conform to the pattern of this world. What's the pattern of this world when somebody offends us? To, take to have revenge and retaliation and to gossip and to do mean things to them and to cut them out of our lives and move on. But we need to renew our minds. We need to change the way that we think when somebody hurts us. We need to change the way that we view people that have hurt us. And we need to try to view people the way that God views them. How does God see this person? What is God actively doing in this person's life right now? How do we see the pursuit of God on their life? And then how can I partner with that? How can I come alongside God and help, to help this person along in their pursuit of God? You know, as we do this, each time, I think we are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And it's not going to feel easy. Like, it's not going to feel fun or exciting necessarily. I think that it's going to stretch us. And I've been kind of in a growing season recently. And man, it's not always enjoyable when God's refining us and shaping us. Like, it hurts. Like, some things are, are being cut off and some things are being reshaped and reformed. And that's not always a comfortable process. But it is worth it. It is worth it. So we want to grow in this until we are like Jesus. Jesus is our example of how to live as spirit-filled people in a broken world. Jesus was able to look beyond people's actions and see through to the reality. Jesus cared about reconciliation even at the moment of his crucifixion. In Luke 23, as he's being crucified, he prays, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the ultimate act of an enemy is killing you. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. And as he's in the act of being crucified, he was concerned about reconciliation, about them being reconciled to the Father, to the Father's heart. That's love. That's what we're called to. Now, in our culture, we have a prophetic culture here. So I do want to encourage you to fill a practical need. Look at what your enemy or the person that's opposing you needs. Fill that. But also ask God for a word for them. I mean, that, 
overshadows even food and drink sometimes, is hearing the heart of God for me, that's one of our most basic needs that everyone needs, whether they want to admit it or not. So we can always ask God for a word for somebody and we can call out the gold in them. We can call out the great things. So I have two examples for you of how I've related to enemies in my life. One where I did a pretty good job and one where I did a not good job. So I'm going to start with that one. So I had a friend in college and we were really close and she lived across the hall from me for two of the four years and we spent a lot of time together. We did everything together with our group of friends. And then we graduated from college and I moved to Hyde Park, moved in with a friend. And then in August, I started teaching. Before I worked at a church, I was a stay-at-home mom. And before that, I was a Spanish teacher. So I got my first teaching job and my first full-time job. And man, it was kind of kicking my rear. Like that first year of teaching, it's, you're working like flat out. I remember my roommate saying like, well, why are you working so hard? And I'm like, because I have 30 kids in front of me all day and I can't get anything done except teach them, you know? And so I met Grant. My husband, he was also a first-year teacher at the same school. And so by Labor Day, we were dating. And by February, we were engaged. And by July, we were married. So it was like, quick, quick, quick. And this friend of mine didn't like it. And she was worried that I was spending too much time with him. And she really, which by our second date, we were like, yeah, we're going to get married. Um, but she really was not supportive and it hurt me so much that I just kind of cut her out of my life. And it was kind of an easy thing to do because I was in this new season, new house, new boyfriend, fiance, husband. It was kind of an easy thing to do. But I think if I would have looked back, if I could have seen her clearly, I would have seen her loneliness. And I would have seen her fear that she was gonna be alone. And I would have had more compassion for her. And I really didn't handle it well at all. The other example, the better example, is my high school cheerleading coach. I, my junior year, I had a cheerleading coach and she was like, you're amazing, Sarah, you're awesome, you're going to be my captain next year. And I was like, great. And if you know anything about high school cheerleading, that's like a big thing. Then we got a new coach. And my senior year, the coach cut me from the basketball squad. And it was really hard for me because I had cheered from seventh grade on up and I was like, I'm gonna be captain, it's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be super fun, it'll cap off my cheerleading career. And she was a new teacher to the district and didn't realize that they would let seniors do kind of whatever they wanted to do. And I mean, come on. So my parents came in and had a meeting with the coach and the principal and I was able to say to her at 17 years old, look, if you put me on the squad, great. If you don't, fine. I will cheer for you for football. I will be respectful. I will be kind. I will not turn the squad against you. And I was able to see she was scared. Like she was kind of scared that, oh man, I've made an enemy and this whole year is not going to go well. But I was able to kind of see that and relieve her of that fear. And then we had a great season. She didn't put me on the squad, which whatever. But but we had a great season. I'm, I really am not bitter, I don't think, anymore. Um, oh, man, gut check. Okay. Um, but I think I handled it a little bit better. 
than the roommate thing. So here's the thing. We have the spirit inside of us. And so he is a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Whoever we are interacting with, whether it be an enemy, a friend, someone we run into in the store, that needs to be bubbling out of us. We need to be interacting with people with practical love, with practical kindness. We need to see people clearly and interact with the Father and figure out what they need. The last thing I'll say is that Jesus told us to expect trouble. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think we should expect to encounter enemies. I think we should expect to encounter some dissension and strife because we live in a broken world. But if we expect to encounter it, we can be prepared to respond and not react so that we can really let all of that love just come bubbling out of us. Because we have an ultimate enemy in this world. And his language is a language of dissension and division and hate and unforgiveness and holding grudges and miscommunication and selfishness and thinking only about how we've been wronged. That's his language. Our language should be kindness, grace, forgiveness, love. We need to go against some of those instincts to take revenge and let the Spirit guide us inside of us. So stand with me and let's pray. Put your hands out if you would. Spirit, I thank you that you live inside of us. I ask right now that you would bring to mind anyone that we might consider an enemy or anyone that might consider us an enemy. I ask that you would bring them to mind right now. God, let us see them clearly. Give us right now words of knowledge about how we can help them in a practical, kind way. Change our perspective about them. I ask for situations to come this week where we run into them, we encounter them, and we have the opportunity to open the door and have a conversation for those seeds to be planted, for the kingdom to break in. Pray right now for the kingdom to break in in each of these relationships. Amen.